Doesn't that just make you happy? That little tune, if you came in sad, you're happy now. If you walked in and got popcorn, you're happy now, right? It just makes you feel good. We are starting a series at the movies. Like, we've been talking about this entire time. I got popcorn up here on the stage. We got decor, all that fun stuff. And you might have walked in, and you've never experienced this before. And you're like, what is happening? And what did I walk into? You're not wrong. It's supposed to look like a movie theater, right? We didn't just, like, forget cleaning up Bible camp and left the decorations, right? We have a blast doing this the last four years. And really, our intent with it is to have fun. We want to have fun. Sunday morning should be fun. Following Jesus should be fun, right? It's not just this burdensome journey. It should be fun and joyful. And this is just one of the ways that we want to capture that, right? So as you eat your popcorn, we're going to watch movie scenes. We're going to hear soundtracks, all that good stuff. I want you to just enjoy the next four Sundays and all that come with it. Because in this series, this is what we say. We want to look at uh, cultural highlights that give us spiritual insights, Because there's movies and films and different pieces of culture that really allow us to tap into spiritual conversations. And the reason we do this series is threefold, okay? The first reason is this. As we do this series and as we look at movies and hear the soundtracks, we're going to see the creativity of God on display, Right? There are human beings that put together the film, put together the movies, put together all the different pieces, and we can be wowed by the story, and we can enjoy that together and have some fun. And so we're going to see the creativity of God in the form of story making on display. Secondly, we're going to see the gospel of God on display. Every single one of the movies we're going to look at in this series, we're going to look at a vein or a theme of the gospel through. So as you watch the movies in prep, you might get uh, kind of tuned into the gospel theme that we're going to talk about because we're going to find themes. We're going to find themes like forgiveness and redemption and grace. We're going to find themes that we're going to latch onto and say, what is this movie telling us through the lens of the gospel? And then lastly, if you're a parent in the room, if you're a parent in the room, you're a grandparent in the room, you're around the next generation in any format, There's also discipleship conversations that are on display. You realize that in our culture, just as much as we talk about discipleship, they talk about discipleship. Movies and music, it's a form of all that you see plastered around our world is a form of discipleship. It's a form of teaching. It's a form of informing. And so ultimately, as you watch these movies, and maybe some of them you'll watch with your kids or watch with your grandkids, it's an opportunity to start a conversation. Start a conversation about what is, what are we talking about here and how do we see Jesus in light of this? And so with every, with every movie, we provide one of these. It's a series guide that every movie we're going to provide a different one with a set of questions, with some fun activities, things like that, that you as a family can do and take around the dinner table. They're on the back wall. They're outside by the popcorn. Grab one. It's just our attempt to help you form a conversation Monday through Saturday around one of these movies and to have that happening all the time. So today, we're going to start with a movie. I'll get to it in a minute. But like a good movie theater does, you have previews of what to come. And my invitation is this, to check these movies out and watch them before we actually walk through them. It will help you. It'll clue you into kind of the theme and the storyline of what's going on. Next week, we're going to go over a movie called Wonder. A movie called Wonder, it kind of tracks a boy's journey who's had many surgeries and his face is deformed because of the surgeries. And he goes to school for the first time. And he's trying to navigate school by looking different, trying to figure out friendships and trying to figure out what in the world and how in the world do I do this and do I actually fit in? And we're actually going to look at the theme of choosing kindness next week. What does it mean to choose kindness and how has God been kind to us through that? The week after that, we're going to look at a movie that's also a book and based on a true story called Just Mercy. And my invitation to you is this, is to watch this. If you're a parent in the room, I would just be aware that it is PG-13 and has some some pretty intense moments tied to it. But it's going to be tracking a story of a young lawyer who goes down to Alabama and works on death row with inmates and tries to figure out their story and tries to figure out what's going on and why they're there and ultimately finds a man that he finds out is innocent. 
and yet on death row. He walks this journey with this man and his family towards justice and mercy inside of this. And so my challenge is, take a look at this video. If you're a parent, I would just warn you that it is PG-13, has some themes and some thematic moments in it that you should be aware of and look at before you watch it with your kiddos. The last movie is Spider-Man. Spider-Man, Far From Home. So you Marvel fans, I fit one in there for you, okay? I got you, okay? I got you, right? I personally have not seen this movie yet, so it's one that I have to watch clearly before I preach on it. But we're going to look at how do you plan for the unexpected, right? How do you plan for the unexpected? Spider-Man thinks he's going over, sees to have a vacation, and ends up just the plans get totally ruined, right? And so how are you going to plan for the unexpected inside of life? So we're going to look at choosing kindness. We're going to look at justice and mercy and how it's about all of us. And then we're going to look at planning for the unexpected, that last one little Marvel action, okay? So write them down, find them on your streaming services, rewatch them, whatever you want to do, and all the fun stuff from there. Today, we're going to watch a family fun one, okay? It's called The Bad Guys. Uh, Xavier turned me on to this movie. He said, this would be great, okay? And I was like, okay, we'll see how it goes. I turned it on with my kids, and my kids were enthralled, mainly because there's a shark involved and there's a snake involved. And my son was like, this is the best movie ever, right? I watched it last Sunday. It's hilarious. It's a ton of fun. You maybe haven't seen it, and that's okay. We're going to take a look at the trailer, and then we'll jump into where we're going today. So take a look at this. Hey, you. Get over here. The villain of every story. Duh. You're afraid because I'm the big bad wolf. The villain of every story. Duh. And this is the crew. Miss Tarantula. Mr. Shark. Mr. Piranha. Mr. Snake. Everyone copy. 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 We're the bad guys. It's crime time, baby. Shark. We need a distraction. Do I get to improvise? Fine. Please be subtle. I'm having a baby! Is there a doctor? Or perhaps several security guards that could leave their post and help me? We were never given a chance to be anything more than criminals. But these are the cards we've been dealt, so we might as well play them. Here, let me help you. Are you okay, ma'am? Thank you, dear. You're such a good boy. Wait, what? I'm the bad guy. All good, brother? All good, yeah, yeah. You ever wonder what it'd be like if the world wasn't scared of us? Never gonna happen. Guys, we're gonna go good. Did you get hit on the head? You villains have an image problem. You need a makeover. So criminal. Well, there goes our street cred. Well, I'm tired of being an outcast. Maybe I don't want to be a... What? A bad guy? You're going to have to choose between your friends or the good life. They're the only friends I have ever had. You have a chance to write your own story. What have you got to lose? I don't know. My dignity? Yeah, well, that ship has already sailed. So you're a tough guy. like a really rough guy. That is an animal testing lab with helpless guinea pigs. I'll rescue them. You've never volunteered for anything. Come on, Snake, open up. Relax. These doors are complicated. Snake! Hey. Are you kidding me? We're supposed to save them, not eat them? Well, I'd say they've gone to a better place. I'm not bad, side. That's it. Some of you are like, what did I just watch? You would be correct. I watched the trailer too. Watch the movie. It actually all pieces together. It's hilarious. It's really well done. And it's about this gang, this kind of criminal gang that's notorious for pulling off really high-stake robberies and criminal activity. And it's led by a character by the name of Mr. Wolf, right? And as you see in the trailer, right, the notorious Mr. Wolf is known for being the big bad wolf, right? The wolf in the story is always big, he's always bad, he's always the one that you should not mess with. And he has a crew around him. There's a crew around him that they pull off these high-stake robberies. They pull off all of this criminal activity, and they're making a living for themselves. You see a scene in the movie where they go to their hideout, and there's just gold everywhere. There's all the different things that they've stolen. They are living the high life, right? 
And what we're going to watch next is a scene where you're going to get introduced to all of his teammates, per se. You're going to see a scene where you're going to meet all of the bad guys and hear their story. It's a, it's a decently longer scene. It's a, it's a few minutes, so sit back with your popcorn. There are some middle school boy humor moments in it, okay? And you can laugh here, okay? It's okay to laugh in church. You can laugh if something comes up and it's funny, even if it's a middle school boy reference, okay? Right? It'd be fun. So take a look at this video as we meet all the bad guys, and we'll go from there. Yes. of rodents. Yeah, but it's still a rodent. You know what I mean? Don't mind us. She's robbing this place. Go bad or go home. I'm the, the big bad wolf. Well, I'm uh, not surprised. I am the villain in every story. Isn't that right, Mr. Snake? <laughs> yep. Say hello to Mr. Snake. Serpentine, safe cracking machine. Imagine Houdini, but with no arms. The kind of guy who'd tell you the glass is half empty, then steal it from you. He's also my best buddy. Today's his birthday. Not relevant. He's a sweetheart. You're a sweetheart. Well, look who's here. Took him long enough. Watch this. Three, two, one. And over here is Miss Drancher, our in-house hacker, our pocket search engine, our traveling tech wizard. We call her Webs. Slick with. I also took over the police dispatch, blurred their satellite imaging system, grounded their chopper, and one more thing. You did. I got a special delivery for. Ah! Oh, oh, me. Please, funny man. Happy birthday, <laughs> Mr. Grumpy Pants. I think I hate you. Worker. And this is Mr. Shark, master of disguise, apex predator of a thousand faces, his greatest trick stealing the Mona Lisa disguised as the Mona Lisa. Dig that. Watch it, big tuna. I'm trying to work here. Keep it cool, baby. Birthday should be chill. And rounding out the crew... Surprise! <laughs> ...is Mr. Piranha. He's a loose cannon with a short fuse, willing to scrap with anyone or anything. He's brave. He's fearless. Uh, who am I kidding? He's crazy. Uh, Piranha, did we forget something? What? The present! You know, oh, um, of course I didn't forget. You know you fart when you lie, right? What? No, I fart when I'm nervous. Yeah, nervous about lying. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, they're a bit eccentric, but when you're born us, you don't exactly win many popularity contests. Do I wish people didn't see us as monsters? Eight legs, eight times the cardio. Sure I do. What's up, Papa? But these are the cards we've been dealt, so we might as well play them. Jackpot! I just wanted a longer car chase. It's the best part. It's them. Webs, hit it. Get them! 
Well, there you go, right? There you go. That's the crew in all of its oddities. And the crew, right, is so good at being bad. That's what Mr. Wolf says. He says, we might be bad, but we're so good at it. Him and snake and shark and piranha and tarantula, uh, tarantula will be nothing other than that. And what's interesting is this. That's the setup to the movie. That's all you know about them. That's what you assume when you look at them, that they are just supposed to be bad guys. And that's the cards that they are playing until one fateful opportunity comes upon them. And all of a sudden, the direction of their journey starts to take a turn. And we're going to look at that because today, what we're going to look at is kind of the main point, the main direction is this, go good, go good, just two words, go good. Because that is ultimately the challenge that is faced upon the bad guys. What does it look like to go good? Because here's the reality. In the story, what we see is this. The bad guys, they got kind of in the mix of everything. And, and all of a sudden, there's not a fear of them like there used to be. The mayor of the city comes out. She says, the bad guys that robbed the bank, they're not as scary. They're not as evil. They're not someone that we're nervous about. We'll take care of them. The bad guys see that, and they're like, we got to step up our game. And there's a high-profile event that takes place in their city called the Good Samaritan Events, where they give out the Good Samaritan Award of the Year to the Good Samaritan of their city. And they said, if we can steal the Golden Dolphin, which is the award for the Good Samaritan. I don't know where they get that, but a Golden Dolphin, right? If we can steal that then we have staked our claim on being the best criminals there are. At the events, right, everything is going as planned until Mr. Wolf, right, all of a sudden things turn for him. And he starts to think differently at the event, starts to think differently about stealing. He starts to think about this, and eventually they get caught. They get caught red-handed with the golden dolphin. They're almost out, and then not quite. And in a turn... All of a sudden, they're given an opportunity. Instead of going to prison for however many years, the good Samaritan of the year, Mr. Marmalade, who happens to be a guinea pig, says to them, what if, what if I put my good Samaritan efforts towards you guys? What if we didn't send you away, but you came to my house and you learned how to be good? And this is the first attempt. Take a look at this. On the outside, the five of you are villains, predators, remorseless sociopaths. Oh, stop. You're making me blush. But inside, there's a flower, the flower of goodness. And when it blooms and you feel that tingle of positivity radiating through your body, you're going to want to feel it all the time. So we're going for a tingle? Not any tingle, the tingle of goodness, which you'll feel in my state-of-the-art sharing laboratory. Okay, Mr. Snake, I'm going to give you a push pop. Great! Push pop just for me! No, to share. Why? Well, on a fundamental level, it's about putting someone else's needs ahead of your own. <laughs> oh, no! No way, Snake! Ah, all right, all right. This is gonna taste extra sweet, because I know how bad you want it. Pop me, please. Nope! Sucker! That's it! I'll teach you to share! I like sharing. It's yummy. Totally worth it. Well, that's terrifying. Let's try something simpler. A good person always pays attention to the needs of others. Now, here's a kindly, frail grandma. <laughs> Mr. Piranha. Help Grandma across the street. Sure, sure, sure. I'll do this all the time. Here you go, Mel. <laughs> oh, he is totally gonna blow it. What was that? What do you say? <laughs> you think I can't do this? <laughs> ah! Maybe simpler? Hey, look, it's a cat stuck in a tree. It doesn't get much simpler than that. Now, what in this scenario would give you that good tingle? Eating it? This is why I always carry two pieces of bread with me. No, I want you to... 
Smack it. Skin it. Stab it. Saute. Sing to it. Save it. I want you to set this off. It's so obvious. I want you to save it. Oh, right. Right. Here Whoa, that cat is obviously defective. What is wrong with you? You're gonna give it a heart attack. I'll handle this. What's up, Papa? What are you doing? Whew. That was their first attempt at trying to go good, right? There's, there's Mr. Marmalade's like, what is happening right now? At a fundamental level, all you have to do is a couple simple things. But here's the reality, right? What's funny in that, that, that movie and that scene is this. They're trying to do everything in of themselves to be good, right? They've lived so long being bad and playing into that. When they come to a point where they're offered to be good or pushed to be good, they're like, how do we do this? How do we come about doing this and making this happen? And here's the reality. I appreciate the, the, the sentiment of Mr. Marmalade, but going good is not about a tingle in your tummy. It's actually about heart transformation. What we're going to find here today is that going good is not about a tingle in your tummy and you got to get to the right feeling and you got to try harder and try to do it better, but it's about a heart transformation because here's the reality. You and I are more like Mr. Wolf and his gang than we like to believe. Paul tells us that in Romans 3. In Romans 3, Paul tells us what we look like and what our hearts look like when we are born into this world. That you and I are born into this world not by nature being good, but by nature being sinners. And what Paul tells us is this is the state of our heart, and we need to be aware of that. This is what he says in Romans 3. What shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all. For we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. So what he's talking about is this. It doesn't matter what race you are, ethnicity, religious background. It don't matter any of that. Everybody starts out on the same plane. We are all sinners in need of a Savior. We have all fallen short. And then he says in verse 10, as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. He continues, their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. In the way of peace they do not know. There is no fear of God before their eyes. What we see is this. We are all sinners in need of a Savior. We are all sinners in need of a Savior that you and I as we laugh at the movie and we laugh at the scenes, actually inside of our hearts look way more like that than we do going good. We look way more like Mr. Wolf than we give ourselves credit. We're all under the power of sin. Tyler Stanton, who's a pastor out in Portland, Oregon, he would say this, sin is any attempt to meet our deep needs by our own resources. It's any attempt to try to meet our deepest needs by our own resources, our own self, and to try in and of ourselves to be who we were not meant to be. What we see here, and we talked about this uh, a few weeks ago, a couple months ago in a series, that sin is not first behavioral, but it's first natural, right? That to meet our deepest needs in our own resources is not just every once in a while I behave that way. It is natural for me to respond that way. I am born into this world and born a sinner. I'm going to naturally respond to life this way. I'm going to try to meet my needs of security and safety. I'm going to try to meet my needs of identity and community. And I'm going to try to meet my needs of, of trying to be good in and of myself instead of relying on God. So sin is first not behavioral, but first natural. Sin is relational. Here, here's the reality I think oftentimes we think sin is just an action that I do or play out or that I end up seeing happen in my life. But actually, it is a relational thing between me and God. It separates me from God. 
And sin is also falling short of God's design. What's interesting is this, like Paul said, that no matter where you're born, what your upbringing is, what your background is, what your experiences are, what religious things you do, sin has power over you. And it holds to your life from the moment you're born on. And that when we come to the point of understanding that, that's when we start to ask questions. Tim Keller, I think he does a great job kind of dissecting this, this passage. Because here's the reality about sin. It impacts all of our lives. It impacts all of our lives. It may not be as overt as the bad guys, but it impacts all of our lives at a very deep level. And in his book, Romans for You, Romans 1 through 7, he kind of dissects in a commentary way. He would say there's three things that sin does and impacts our lives. First, it does this. It impacts our legal standing. Spiritually, we are condemned and guilty. Just like the bad guys were about to be thrown into prison, you and I, in our sin, are handcuffed. We're spiritually condemned or spiritually guilty. We are supposed to pay the price for our sin. We spiritually are handcuffed by sin's power. Secondly, it impacts our minds, our wills, and our tongues. Spiritually, the reality is this. In your sin, you are not seeking God. Spiritually, you and I cannot seek God. We'll get to this. God sought us out instead. And so you and I, spiritually, even if we know there's a God, we would believe in maybe a higher power, or we would think that there's a higher power that wants to to do good for us. We're still not in it for God himself. We're just in it for my own needs and desires, and I'll use him however. So we're not seeking a relationship with God. In our lostness, we're completely blind to the truth of God and his goodness and his law and his truth, and we're living out our own path. We're living out our own path, and inside of our minds and our wills and our tongues, right, we see that play out, and we will attack others and attack God if we don't get our way. Thirdly, our relationships. We do not live at peace with God or others in our sin. They said we don't seek God. If anything at all, I seek my own benefit and my own satisfaction and my own will inside of that. And so my sin, it just naturally ruins any relationship that I'm going to have, whether horizontally, but primarily vertically. Because ultimately, my sin is a barrier that I've created in my life. It doesn't allow me to be in union with God. And when you look at the Romans 3 passage, here's the reality. We read that, and that's a passage that oftentimes we don't like to talk about. Because it feels harsh. It doesn't feel inviting. It doesn't feel freeing. It feels like, wow, you're uncovering the skeletons of my closet for some of us. Or maybe we're like, that doesn't feel like the Jesus I know. Isn't he about love and grace and truth and all this good stuff? What we'll see is this, is that Jesus came towards us even when we didn't. Because oftentimes I do two things with my sin. I either claim it or I try to cover it. I either claim it or I try to cover it. Some of us, we claim it and we're like the bad guys. We're like, these are the cards I was dealt. These are the experiences I had. That's the trauma I experienced. That's the family I came from. That's the moment that this happened. I must just be this. And I'm just going to live that way. I've talked to some people. And that's where they're at. They just feel like, well, I'm a bad guy. So I must just be a bad guy. There's no hope for me. And for some of us, we're sitting here, and maybe that's been your story. And you're sitting here, and you're like, I'm not even sure I'm here. I'm not sure what to do with my baggage. I've just always lived it out, and I've just been okay with it. But for others of us, we try to cover it. And and this is my story. We will use any sort of means to try to cover that on the inside, we're not all right. That there are evil thoughts, that there is ickiness, that there is junk, that there is sin going on. And so for some of us, we use religion or church or church activities to cover what's really going on. Well, if I'm just a part of the stuff and it feels good on the outside, then it must be good on the inside. 
got the tingle in your tummy, then we can go forward. For those of us, it's just trying to do more, work harder, be good, serve more, be in the community more, right? It's kind of a moralistic way, a social way of doing life. And so I, I cover up what's actually going on and the mess that's inside of me. For others of us, we cover up in other ways. We cover up because of the experiences we've had. We cover up from the family that we're from, whatever it may be. And here's the reality. Whether you claim it or you cover it, you're not running from it. Whether you claim it or cover it, you're not actually dealing with it. Whether you claim it or cover it, there's actually nothing being done with it. And so if that's the status that we are born into this world with, there has to be something deeper that helps us navigate it and ultimately gives an answer to it. Because I believe that the God of the universe loves us, wants relationship with us. And if that's the case, then he's going to do whatever he can to break into our lives. Because here's the reality. In the movie, what we see happen, and like I said, you should watch the movie. The bad guys go from claiming it to trying to cover it up. It's really quite funny, right? They're trying to go from, we are the bad guys, we take the money, we run, to let's try to be good and try to cover it up, and still maybe we can get away with the bad stuff. What we see is this, their, their mentor, Professor Marmalade, he, he tries his hardest to get them to this point. And they go to another party, another event that's raising money for the community, right? And the bad guys have this plan to steal that stuff from them. They're like, we're going to look good, we're going to act good, we're going to feel good, and at the end of the day, we're still going to steal from them because nothing changed on the inside. But on a turn of events, what happens is Professor Marmalade actually gets revealed as the bad guy, that he actually was the one covering up the whole time. He was doing all this good stuff, but on the inside, it was all for him and to get him power to eventually steal all of this money that was raised. And what ends up happening is no one believes the bad guys, and they get thrown into prison. No, it was him. No, we believe it's you, because that's what you've been. That's what you've always done, and you were trying again. They get thrown into prison. They kind of get booked, and then all of a sudden, someone comes to their rescue. In the story, it doesn't completely and accurately line up where I'm going, but they needed someone from the outside to save them, not from the inside. They couldn't save themselves. And you see in the movie, as they're trying to figure out what to do next, a superhero character of sorts, I think she's actually a villain, but superhero character of sorts, Prince, the Crimson Paul comes into the scene, breaks them loose, right? Action scene, it's epic. And the reality is this, just like that scene, you and I cannot save ourselves. You need someone on the outside to save you. Because if that's our status, we can't do good. No one is good. We're not seeking God. Our tongues and our minds and our wills are against God. We're just going to pursue it in and of ourselves. We then are proven to not be able to save ourselves because if that is our status, how are we going to break loose of that? We're just going to claim it or cover it, but we're never going to give an answer to it. What I love about this is Paul continues as he writes letters. He's writing to a young man named Titus. And in Titus 3, we see this short passage that gives us an understanding of what he means by being saved outside of us. In Titus 3, verse 3 through 5 and on, at one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. Paul just literally in two verses summarizes Romans 3, 9 through 18, right? That's what he just talked about. At one time, this was our status. At one time, this is who we are. At one time, this is what we were about. But... When the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Listen to this, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. Paul continues, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, 
so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things, so that those who've trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. What I love about this is Paul answers the question, what does it mean to go good, in about five verses, six verses. And what we see is this, it's a two-part equation that equals going good. Grace and his spirit. Grace and his spirit. That ultimately what we see inside of Titus 3 and multiple other passages throughout Romans and Ephesians is that in and of ourselves, we cannot purely, wholly go good. We can't. You might be like, well, Joel... I see a bunch of good things happening by good people. What do you mean we can't do good? There's people that aren't even following Jesus and they're doing good. Because at the end of the day, doing good, whether you're following Jesus or not, out of the wrong spirit is the same thing. I can do good selfishly. I can do good so that others see. I can do good so that I feel better about myself and that I fulfilled something in myself. What Paul is getting at is there's something at the heart level that is not right and can only be fixed by a source outside of you. That is Jesus Christ himself. And so the first part is grace. Grace is an undeserved gift. And the undeserved gift that you and I have received and have an opportunity to receive, if so willing, is the gift that God sought us out with his son, Jesus. And ultimately, through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, we can have life. Here's the reality. When you come to face the facts that you and I did not, have not, and will not seek God in our sin, it is a very humbling reality that he would send his only son out of love and grace and mercy and truth to save us. And the reality is this, that grace is completely undeserved. That you and I fall short of God's design. You and I fall short of a relationship with God. You and I fall short of being anywhere close to good, to matching who he is. And yet, out of his love, he sent his son. And instead of getting what we deserve, he took the cross. And like I said, through his life and his death, he rose again so we could put on his life. But that's not where the equation ends. If you notice, it's not grace plus try harder. It's not grace plus you. It's not grace, but just strap your boots on and let's go. It's not grace and good luck. It's not grace and knock on wood, right? It's grace plus the Holy Spirit. Grace plus the Holy Spirit that inspires and motivates and encourages towards goodness and good works. His Spirit is a gift to us. Right? The Spirit can often feel like wiggly and what do we do with that? And how do we talk about the Spirit and, and, and who is the Spirit? The Spirit is a person that if you have said yes to Jesus, you're a child of God and the Spirit lives inside of you. And all of a sudden, the Spirit is guiding and directing and giving weight to your decisions in your life. And it is a gift to us. And the Spirit, as Paul wrote, says, the Spirit inside of our salvation, when we came to know Jesus, washed us clean and made us born again. The Spirit transforms us. The Spirit's not just some loose energy. The Spirit is a person who gives us guidance and we can walk with day in and day out. He encourages, reminds, convicts, and points us to truth. Now, here's the reality. I think oftentimes we don't recognize this enough. When you say yes to Jesus, that's when the battle begins. When you're blind and you're lost, it's irrelevant. The battle actually begins when... Jesus enters your life, the Spirit enters your life, because here's what the Spirit's going to do. 
He's going to enter a body, a life that was led by sin, and still, still has sin present in it. And the Spirit is going to work and work and do the work of ultimately pointing us to Jesus, reminding us, convicting us at times, calling out sin at times, encouraging us to keep going at times, encouraging us to focus on Jesus at times, and that is going to be a battle because your body, your life is used to just living in its selfishness and in its sinfulness. When the Spirit enters, it is going to toss everything upside down, and you're going to be like, why am I confused and conflicted? It's because the Spirit wants to lead you to Jesus, and you're often being led to your own selfishness. And ultimately, the more and more you tap into grace and the Spirit, the more goodness flows from your life. It's not a, let's try harder. It's a, am I walking with the Spirit, being reminded of the gospel, walking with the Spirit, being reminded of his grace, walking with the Spirit, being reminded of his mercy, and looking at Jesus the entire time. And then all of a sudden, when I'm met with a decision, a decision that means I can pursue good, it's not even about pursuing good so I have something fulfilling me, but it's pursuing good because Jesus pursued me. And all of a sudden, I want to play that out because loving others is laying down my life. And it's not about trying to fulfill myself. And the more I look at his grace and the more that I walk with the spirit, which eyes up here, if you've been following Jesus for a long time, is a practice. It's not like this equation, like today you're like grace, spirit, grace, spirit, grace, spirit. And then all of a sudden you're like, boop, there it is, right? It's like a daily practice and it's hard. And you start to discern the Spirit's voice. And you start to rely on grace instead of your works. And all of a sudden, life starts to play out as such. Because inside the movie, I think they do define something pretty well. Inside the bad guy's movie, they would say this, good is sacrificing for the better of someone else. It is to let go of your needs to meet someone else's. As Jesus would say in John 15, no greater love is this than to lay down your life for a friend, right? That ultimately good becomes less about me and more about others. Good becomes less about am I fulfilled, I know I am because Jesus has saved me, and more about how, how can I allow Jesus to work through me. And the more that you walk in step with this equation, right, which is just a picture, the more you walk in step, the more that God will transform your heart by him. It's not about working harder. I think this movie captures the essence of what we try to do a lot. We try to do is we try to claim it or cover it, and we just get through life, and we just try to do our best. But what if there was a better way to go good, and it wasn't about how you did it. But it was about what God did in your life and transforming your heart out of it. So two things I want you to lean into today. First, for some of us, for some of us, this conversation of going good means saying yes to Jesus and saying yes to his grace. So for some of us, the decision is go good by saying yes to his grace. And here's the reality. You have believed that going good wasn't an option. Or you've believed going good had to be something you did in and of yourself. You made a decision of. You had to work harder for. And what God is saying is, no, I have sought after you. And I love you. And the quicker you realize that you cannot good, go good in and of yourself, the faster you will run to me because I am the only one who is good and the only one who offers you what goodness is, which is a relationship with me and living out of that. For some of us, it's accepting that. It's accepting that. And I believe the Spirit moves in really powerful ways that once you are tugged at the heart, you're met with a decision. Do I trust Jesus or do I just try to keep living out of my own way? 
Once you accept that you are a sinner and you cannot meet your own needs by your own resources, Jesus is standing there saying, trust me. I have what you need. And I have what you need because I did for you what no one else could do. And I did what you deserved. And I rose again, defeating death and sin. But you're going to try to be better in yourself. And you're going to try to just kind of make it through. Or maybe you're just like, this is who I am. And there's nothing to be changed. And Jesus says, no. I didn't quit on you. Don't quit on me. He says, trust me. Believe in me. And embrace following me the rest of your life. For some of us, going good feels like a distant conversation. Or going good feels like something I have to keep up with. But what if going good was more about trusting in the grace of Jesus and what he's done for you on the cross in his death and his resurrection? But secondly, right, for some of us, we've been following Jesus and doing that for a many a years. And we feel this tension of what it means to follow Jesus and what it means to live into that. And you have reverted back to trying harder and working harder and doing the church activities. And my invitation to you is this, go good by living by his spirit. Go good by living into his spirit, walking with the spirit. Romans 8, 9 through 10, Paul says this, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, you've said yes to Jesus, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. In the chapter before, Paul says this, I do not know why I do what I don't want to do and do do what I don't want to do, right? He doesn't understand why he's doing the things he doesn't want to do and not doing the things he wants to do and the desires of his heart want to do. And if you've said yes to Jesus, it is a continual struggle to know how to be good. But once you say yes to Jesus, it's not like the struggle ends. It actually intensifies because inside of you, there's a war raging for goodness to play out. And what we see is this, once I trust in Jesus, you enter that battle, you were blind before, now you can see you were dead, but now you're alive, you're lost, but now you are found. And there is a war waging, and what Jesus is telling us is this, is that when the Spirit leads you, there's a transformation of the heart. And as the transformation of the heart takes place, your sinful nature is going to fight harder. That as you lean into the spirit more, your sinful nature is going to want to play out more. That as you start following Jesus more, it's going to kick and kick and kick more on this side. What Jesus is telling us, what Paul is saying is this. How do I fight harder? Be led by the spirit more. Continue to be led by the spirit more. And the more you transform, the less presence sin holds in your life the less power it's going to have in your life. Are you ever going to be perfect? Not until you meet Jesus face to face. But the presence and the power of sin is going to decrease because the Spirit is going to confront our hidden sin and it's going to comfort our hearts. The more sin revealed, the more transformation happens. Tim Keller would say this, for the more mature and spiritually discerning we get, the more we see of the sin in our hearts the more holy we become, the less holy we feel. The holier we are, the more we cry about our unholiness. Listen, you've been following Jesus for a while, and it feels mundane, and it feels frustrating, and it feels exhausting, and it feels like more junk is rising to the surface. You're probably doing something right. Because the Spirit might be doing his work in your life and revealing the things that would never be revealed on the surface. That the more sin that he confronts, the more he's going to comfort your hearts. The more sin that's confronted and made visible to your life, the more he's going to comfort you by his grace and his mercy and offer forgiveness. Don't believe that once you become a Christian that you have to be perfect. But once you become a Christian, all of a sudden you know who to run to and who to offer up your life to. 
And going good means less about trying harder and being perfect and putting on a mask when you walk in, but it's actually more about allowing the spirit to transform your heart, and that's messy and it's icky and it doesn't feel good. Because my hope is this, when I stand face-to-face with Jesus, that I can say to him, I allowed you to do the work that you wanted to do. Did it look beautiful and perfect and fancy all the time? No, it probably looked messy and in the trenches at times. My hope is the Spirit transforms me to become more and more like Jesus while I'm here. So as the worship team comes up and we close in prayer, Father, we ask that you would challenge our hearts today. This fun movie, this fun series is joyful and exciting it's fun it's amazing all of those things but father would you help us not forget that the most joyful thing is being found in you that the reason that we can joy is because you came after us and we praise you right now we glorify you the fact that we are sitting here that we're standing here that you have given us life just in and of itself is a gift and that you would seek after us as a gift, Father. We praise you for that. Help us to see you as King and Lord and shepherd of our hearts. Help us to see you as one with grace and truth. Help us to see you as the loving Father who sent his only son so that we could be sons and daughters. Father, we praise you for that, that you would just bust onto the scene of our life not to condemn us, but to save us. Thank you, Father. Thank you that you and your character care enough about us. So, Father, I ask that your spirit, as we believe, hovers in this place and leads us. Would you challenge our hearts on what we need to take into this week? For some of us, it is shedding, shedding the identity that I just am going to be bad. That I can't do it or I have to cover it up. And that they would see your grace, Father. Would you open our hearts to your grace and your spirit? Would you open us to hear from you, Father? So, Father, as we go into this last song, Father, we ask that you would move with your grace and your wisdom here in this space. And we give it to you because you are the only one who transforms and changes lives. We thank you for that. We praise your name.